Welcome to the MediaCasters with your business besties, Karina Belizzi and Julie Loken. In every episode, you'll get behind the scenes access to experts who share their struggles and successes in podcasting, publishing, and presenting. So grab a pen, grab your bestie, and kick it with Karina and Jules. Wow. Kicking it. We are kicking it. And you have just floored me with the guests that you were able to get us to talk to today. So tell me about today's guest. Wow. I mean, I never give up and either does our guest, Lieutenant Joe Kenda. He has an amazing special coming out on August 17th. Homicide Hunter, never give up. I've seen many things, not many this extreme. She's active duty army. We, of course, considered that the killer is probably military. We take blood, we take air, we are at a dead end. The most important part of homicide investigation is to never, ever give up. Homicide Hunter, Never Give Up, Wednesday, August 17th at 9 on ID. A lot of such interesting behind-the-scenes investigative work on how DNA is changing the landscape of just criminal um, investigation and getting those people where they need to be caged. And I got to say, oh, my, 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 my. We have Joe Kenda here. I am so excited. He is the star of Investigation Discovery's hit show, Homicide Hunter. He has a special out August 17th, as I said, and I'm kind of fan fangirling right now, if you will. Well, and I get to geek out over DNA. So this is going to be oh, an incredible geez. conversation. There we go. The geeking out. Familial DNA, all of it. It's going to be great. And I love true crime. And you know, I've always wanted to do a true crime podcast. So maybe Joe wants to do one with us. This will be your inspiration. Yeah. You're never going to quit. You're never okay. going to give up. Never given up. That's oh, gosh. right. Where is he? Where is he? He's right in? here. Joe, Yay. welcome. Yes. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. We're kind of good. We're kind of really good. Okay. Tell us, tell us why you, I, I mean, okay, your solve rate, and I probably am going to use all the wrong terms, but you have solved 92% of the murder cases that you have come into contact. It's probably increased, you know, because you never give up, meaning you keep doing what you're doing, even yeah. though you're a megastar now on investigation discovery. Oh, well, that's uh, debatable, I suppose, but yeah. My solve rate is a function of the fact that I, I truly, I'm not smarter than everybody else. I just, I'm more determined. I'm like a dog with a bone. You kill one of my taxpayers, I take it personally. And I want to resolve those. And I am devastated when I don't. I had 387 homicide investigations that I conducted. I cleared 356 of them by arrest. 31 remain unsolved. If I was a football team, 356 and 31, that'd be a dynasty. As it is, I'm just a dumb guy that doesn't know who killed 31 people. It all depends on how you look at it. Now, some of the advances in DNA have resulted in the resolution of three of those 31. Hmm. So now I'm down to 28. I'd like to get down to zero, but that's unrealistic. Yeah. 
whole chain of command, custody of the actual evidence, all sorts of things can get in the way of you being able to solve a case. So let's talk about what's happening now. You are getting ready for an incredible feature that's coming up this summer. So can you talk to us about that? Sure. It's about a case that occurred on St. Patrick's Day, 1987. A young girl was brutally murdered, raped, and left next to a dumpster in an alley in the snow dumped at that location. One of the most brutal killings I've seen, and I've seen many killings. She had post-mortem human bite marks. It's incredible. You think you're looking for Dracula. You mean after she died? After she died, she got bit. Correct. Wow. All over her body. Wow. It's a very bizarre thing. So we are work this case like dogs for months we get nowhere. She's in a bar on St. Patrick's Day with well over 100 people. People remember her dancing with a guy once. They describe him. It matches the description of half the men in North America. No one knows his name. (laughs) No one knows anything about him. They only remember seeing her dance with him on one occasion. The next time she's seen, she's laying dead and raped in an alley behind the bar. So somehow, some way, someone gets their hands on her and does this to her. Could it be the one she's dancing with? Sure. Could it be somebody else? You have your pick of over 100 people. Most of the audience in there are males. So it's a very problem. The most difficult case to solve anywhere in the United States is a stranger killing where the suspect has no relationship with the victim. They only represent two to 5% of murder cases. The others, the 90 plus percent are people that have a relationship. It could be financial. It could be romantic. It could even be criminal part of a criminal enterprise, but a motive rises from the relationship. They make somebody mad enough to want to kill them. The stranger killing is a passing ship in the night who sees an opportunity to take a victim. It's very, very difficult. You have nowhere to begin. You have no one to talk to that has any knowledge of the event. During this process of working this case, A year before that case occurred, in 1986, we got a letter, every agency in Colorado did, from the Colorado Colorado Bureau of Investigation, which is the state laboratory system. The letter said, there's this guy in England, he's a doctor, a research doctor at a university, and he's working on the possibility of using DNA profiling as a way to uniquely identify suspects and or individuals in any sort of case. We don't know if it's going to work, but it shows promise. So we would therefore recommend Mm -hmm. that you preserve your evidence of body fluids from a perpetrator, blood, seminal fluid, semen, whatever you can come up with from the perpetrator. Do it in the following manner, and it could be examined decades from today. However, the manner in which they described was not only complicated, it was expensive. And the minute you say expensive, law enforcement agencies tend to hit the brakes. We have to compete for the tax dollar. Boy, I don't know. It's a lot of money. And I argued that, well, okay, it's expensive. Yes, it is. 
However, it may mean something. It could even mean everything. And maybe it comes to nothing. But at least we will have the opportunity if it comes to something. So we started doing that. It's so complicated. You have to freeze the samples in liquid nitrogen. It is a complicated affair. You need specialized equipment and so on and so on. But we did it anyway. Fast forward 33 years, and they're able to come up with a new test. Science advances as it moves along. When DNA was first discovered by Dr. Jeffries in England, you required a fairly substantial sample of potential mm -hmm. DNA. You didn't always have that. It has advanced to the point now to where touch a countertop, and I'll tell you who you are, touch DNA, because it is scientific and it does advance. So they developed this system where they can mine the data in Ancestry.com, 23andMe, all the different services mm -hmm. that provide those things. In the fine print, which nobody bothers to read, you are surrendering your Fourth Amendment rights when you submit your sample. It tells you this will now be a public record. The police are part of the public. So they mine the data, they find a close relative, not the perpetrator, but a close family member, and one thing leads to another. I testified against that individual last year in Colorado in June of 2021, and he had committed that crime. He was 24 years old. Sitting in that courtroom, he's 58, looking rather bewildered. Mm -hmm. We convicted him first-degree murder, first-degree sexual assault. He's doing life in prison where he belongs. So it's an interesting fact that the police have a policy. We don't forgive and we don't forget. Wow. Well, I have to say this is an emotional case for me mm -hmm. because um, one of my dear friends from college was the victim of a random homicide. And I will just say that there's nothing more shocking than just learning that your best friend who was walking to a lunchtime hair appointment in downtown Santa Cruz was randomly attacked and killed being stabbed 16 times in the chest and throat. Like there was no chance, even if a trauma surgeon had been on site. And even though there were 13 people who witnessed it, she would not have survived. And the man almost got away. We were thankful that he was apprehended and he was actually trying to clean the knife when he was found and reported to the police that he just decided he was going to kill the next woman he saw walking alone. Random, completely. No prior knowledge of my friend. And she literally didn't have any chance. He just stepped out from between two parked cars and her life was over. You know, these things, when they go unsolved, the damage they do to their families, imagining 34 years later, they have resolution now. They can at least put that, some of that pain to bed in a way. Well, you can, but ultimately, as you know from your own experience, and I'm sorry for your loss of your friend, mm -hmm. that is a hole in your heart that never heals. Yeah, that is definitely true. That person is never coming back. They say you get resolution. There's no such thing as resolution. That pain never goes away. The family at least has an answer, yeah. as you did, as to what happened. It's something that most people cannot understand. 
because they can't imagine people doing that. But I, on the other hand, have bitter experience with human nature. People are capable of anything. And you have to understand that. The, the most dangerous animal on this planet is a human being. That's why wild animals run from us, because they know what we are. And that violence is in all of us. It is contained by our morality, by our training, by our emotional control. If that gets damaged in some way, the control, the emotions, mental illness, whatever, whatever you'd like to call it, and it releases the demon that's in all of us, everyone within range is at risk. Wow. I mean, these powerful stories and just hearing Karina's story about her best friend from college and being such a super fan of Homicide Hunter, how do you process this? You know, just like a doctor who has to have a bedside manner, you can't connect yourself too much to the case or do you because it will eat you up alive. You will never get to sleep. You'll never be able to function as a human being. And I happen to know like you have children and family how does that how do you do that i mean it's, it's extremely it's extremely difficult it is i have recurring nightmares i don't sleep it's the price you pay for the work the work is worth it but there is a price that's attached to it ptsd all that sort of thing i've got all that but i wouldn't have done anything else i loved it I felt that I was accomplishing something in my small corner of the world. I found something I was good at, which was homicide investigation, and I pursued it. And I was successful most of the time. And I'm proud of that fact. My kids and my wife uh, suffered through that as well. My wife is, uh, she and I met in high school. We've been married forever. Forever. Uh, so we've, yeah, we I have. It's, 50, it's 55 years this year <clears throat> we've been married. She stuck by you I, through all that. Yes. <laughs> I refer to her as the lovely and radiant Mrs. Kenda because it makes her mad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's an Irish girl currently with white hair and blue eyes and a temper like a chainsaw. I don't understand her, but I'm working on that. You know? Well. You know, we we're very difficult to understand this this sex, <laughs> the female sex. But you know, I, I I just can't imagine and putting myself in your shoes, watching all. And I love how the Homicide Hunter is laid out. It is almost a reflection of all your cases. It's reenacted, you know. Mm -hmm. And I am really curious. How do you remember all these details of the case? If cases I have, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, I'll explain that. But I have a photographic memory. Uh-oh, that could be a problem and, and a great thing. <laughs> it's both a, a blessing and a curse. You remember everything, the good things. You also remember the bad. And it never goes away. When I started doing this show, the very, very first episode, uh, I was in California. We were, they shot it in a, uh, a jail that was no longer in use. It was a, a, an old prison owned by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, and it was no longer in use. And they thought that would be a cool background for season one. So I'm sitting in a cell block in front of cameras. 
And the place still smelled like a prison, but there were no inmates in it. And a guy walked up and dropped a pile of paper in my lap. And I said, what's that? That's your script? I said, did anybody tell you I'm a policeman? I'm not an actor. I got over playing dress up when I was five. You should have too. And it made him mad and I meant and I meant to make him mad. And I said, I'll tell you what, you turn that camera on, <clears throat> I'll tell you about this case. Because I was there and you weren't. And put this aside, and if you don't like what I say, we'll talk about this script you say you have. And he said, all right, because he's prepared not to like what I say. So I turned, I turned the camera on. I spoke for 15 or 20 minutes, and I stood up. And I said, is that what you had in mind? <laughs> it was probably far better than the script. <laughs> he looked at me, and he said, uh, we don't need this. And he put it aside. And there's never been a script since. I say whatever I want. They take out the profanity, because it is television. Profanity is the language of the street. But they removed that. Other than that, it's what I say because it was my case and i was there and i did all that stuff that were talked about and uh, uh kept me rather busy and i love like the deadpan the way that you just express it in such a deadpan almost sarcastic but you're talking to your audience like it's in real mm -hmm. time like oh, Wanda, yeah. oh my 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 when wanda's yep. in trouble Mm -hmm. I love that. And that was all yours. <laughs> you yeah, absolutely. Episode. Whatever I say, it just comes out. You know, it's a, I am a far worse in person than I am on camera as being sarcastic. <laughs> Over the years, you hone that skill when you're dealing with animals, which I did all the time. But um, you do, and you talk to people, and you try to reason with them, or you try to get inside their head a little bit, and try to see what kind of adversary you're up against. What is rare in a murder case is a confession. Mm. You'll get pieces of the truth, maybe some incriminating statements, but everyone's, everyone wants to minimize their involvement. They just don't want to really talk about what they did. They certainly know what they did. You can see it in their eyes. But they don't want to tell you that. They want to somehow make it sound better maybe not as bad, maybe they were provoked. That sort of game playing goes on. But if you'll lie to me, I'm talking to the right guy. Innocent people don't have to lie. Guilty people do. So what I'm looking for in an interview or an interrogation is the first lie. Tell me a lie. And, and before I get to that point, I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Mr. Confused. I want this person to believe that all they have to do is talk their way past me and they're going to get out of this police station, which couldn't be further from the truth. But I make them believe that. I'm dropping papers on the floor. I'm saying, I don't understand why you're here and so on. And you, people, street people, are, they're not clever, but they're very, very cunning. They see confusion or kindness as weakness. And they immediately think they can exploit that, which is the game. So you get him comfortable and you say, tell me what happened. And he tells you his fantastic tale that he's thought up for the last several days as to why, if anybody asks him what he's going to say. 
and I don't take notes and it's not recorded at that time. I listen, but I remember every word. And then I say to you, well, you know, after a couple hours of this, you told me what happened, but you don't remember what you told me. Could you tell me again? Well, of course he can't because he lied the first time. He will try to, he'll try to remember, but there'll be subtle changes. And the minute you hear that, you slam your notebook on the table and you say, well, my, my, my. Now, two hours ago, you said this, and now you say this. Were you lying then? Are you lying now? Or maybe you're just a liar. What do you think? And all of a sudden, his eyes get big. And he's looking, what happened to my friend? Oh, your friend left. Detective Antichrist is here now. And we're going to play a very sophisticated game of tag. And you are it. Let mm -hmm. me see if I can touch you. And that changes the whole tenor of the conversation. You want him off balance. When he's comfortable, he's lying his ass off. When he's off balance, he doesn't know what to do. And he'll say something that's critical. Stammering, sweating, I'm imagining, sure. right? Of course. Mm -hmm. This is something we can use with our kids. I think these are some helpful tips. <laughs> My son told me when he was 12, he says, not fair. I said, what's not fair, Dan? You always know if I'm lying. My friends, their parents don't know. I said, well, maybe you should go live <laughs> with them. You might have oh. a better chance if they can't figure you out, but don't ever, ever lie to me. Wow. What Things is it? will get really ugly. Yeah, I figured out with my son the same thing. <laughs> you did. <laughs> well, it's um, the trick, I think, is you just keep looking at them as they're telling you the lie. And eventually, mm -hmm. just a little... <laughs> <laughs> the twitch of the sure. eye. Well, it's also body uh, language. You know, like do people have it... tells, you know, they do. I mean they do. And you know, where is he facing? He's facing the door because that's the way out and away from you. You know. Mm. And you see his foot bouncing on the floor because he's a nervous wreck. Is he uh, his eyes darting around the room, looking down, looking up, looking left, looking right. What are you looking for? The way out? Because there isn't a way out of this. And that's what happens. They look for the way out, even when there isn't one. It used to amaze me if we would end up being a foot pursuit with a suspect. They climb. They climb the side of a house. They climb a tree. Where are you going? It's like an animal. Stairway to heaven is a song. There is no stairway. Mm. <laughs> There's a terminus up there. It's called the roof. And there you are. It's really remarkable it, because fear does terrible things to people. And your worst enemy when you're under arrest is your mind. And I exploit that. Make you worry about what's going to happen to you. Another technique in interrogation is ignore him. Walk in with a custody sheet. The custody sheet is a piece of paper that name and middle name and your date of birth and where you live and da da da. da. And you fill it out, you don't look at it. It's your name. So and so so. Okay. Where do you live? And when you're not making eye contact, he's getting upset because he's being ignored, hmm. thinking the decision has already been made, what's going to happen to him. And if you continue doing that for long enough, he'll say to you, well, well, can I talk to you about what? Well, you know about, about why I'm here? If you want to, I have to advise you of your rights first. I'll waive my rights. Okay, fine. Let's do that. Now, 
What do you want to tell me? And you'd be amazed at what some people will tell you. Fear drives it. He is afraid if he doesn't say something, things are going to be even worse than they would be otherwise. It's interesting. As humans, I don't understand humans, but they interest me. See, so you play this game. I see people as covered in buttons. What does this button do? Let me push that. Ooh, that touched a nerve. Mm, like you know? And you, you go back and forth with them and just see how what their story is. Well, you're going to get, are you going to get the magic confession? Most of the time you won't. But you'll get something that's useful in prosecution. You'll get something. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to watch one of these crime shows the same way ever again. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the insight that we have. I mean, what is the toughest nut? What, what has been your toughest nut to crack? Besides your kids, which I'm sure they. If know. a guy, if a guy is a sociopath. A true and honest sociopath has no emotions. The only emotion he's capable of is rage. Don't make him mad, because if you do, he's going to kill you. And he won't remember having done it five minutes later. He doesn't feel guilt. He doesn't feel sympathy. He doesn't feel empathy. He doesn't feel love. He doesn't feel anything. Can they pass lie detectors? Of course. Of they course can. they can. Okay. Of course they can. There is no reaction to telling a lie. Polygraph, in my humble opinion, a polygraph is a Ouija board with a 110-volt extension cord. I, I see no merit in a polygraph. The only merit a polygraph has is if the defendant is convinced it's going to tell the, him that he's lying. And he makes a statement without hooking up the machine. That statement is very useful. The machine is useless. That's why it's not admissible in court. The human mind is a very complicated piece of machinery. And nobody with a small set of screwdrivers and a, and a computer parts is going to figure that out, period, the end. Now, if you go to polygraph school and you drink the Kool-Aid, you think this thing works. I think it's bullshit. But that's just an opinion. Well, being a human polygraph of sorts, because you have watched people long enough and interrogated mm -hmm. enough people to be able to really see those tells sure. and using yep. your keen memory, you're able to suss out when they didn't stay consistent with key details Correct. and suddenly you're telling you something different. Now, I, I know that in this particular case, it's going to be part of this feature. It really centers around that familial DNA. And there's a couple of other really notable cases that have come through recently including the Golden State Killer, also called, I think, the East Bay Stalker or the original Night Stalker, something like that, um, mm -hmm. which was solved by familial DNA. How do you see this coming into play now? I've heard some people in the uh, profession say that they don't think any case anymore is unsolvable with enough DNA evidence. Well, if you have the DNA evidence, and there is your problem. You know, you mm -hmm. don't always find perpetrator fluid or blood or stains or whatever in the, in the in the crime scene it's very common in sex offenses for obvious reasons but it's very very difficult in other crimes there may not be evidence there to pursue so there is still going to be cases that are unsolvable what if your shooter is a rifleman and kills the victim from 100 yards away 
from an unknown spot where the shot was fired from. A general direction is observed, but exactly where was it? Those sorts of things can happen. Nobody hears him, nobody sees him, so on and so on. There is no DNA. When there is, that is very true, it's very possible, still not guaranteed. First of all, there's an offender file. If you've been arrested, particularly for a sex crime, to take a DNA sample, and you're placed in, a, in, a, in an offender file in the recent past. So if you find him, it, people who commit those crimes tend to repeat the crimes. So they are found, they are arrested, they are charged, and then a DNA sample is taken. The first place you look is the offender file. Has he done this before? And let's say you don't find him. Okay, so now we need to place our faith in the fact that somebody in his family wants to know if they're Irish and they dutifully send in their money to these companies that provide these services. But what if they don't? Then the database doesn't contain his family or anybody connected to him. So to say that every case is solvable, no, it isn't. Not that way, not any way. They're all unique. They're all unique unto themselves. What are the circumstances? So it's still a, a question of luck. In this case that we're talking about on August 17th, it was someone in his family that he hadn't contacted in 20 years who decided for whatever reason that they just decided to go ahead and spend the money and for the sake of who knows, find out about their heritage. And they found a killer in their family. But they could have also not done that. And the guy would still be walking around. So what do you think about uh, DNA, 23, Ancestry, those things? Do you think they're helpful? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. With it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're a business like anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, of course, they're in the business of providing you with information. Uh, which most people, a lot of people, like to have. They want to know about their families. They discover family secrets that were unknown. They discover family they never heard of. Lots of things happen with that result. You have to be careful what you wish for when you want to find out your history. Maybe you're not going to like your history or people in your history or whatever. But those are choices people make. The difference is that they're public record, so therefore... That exposes your heritage, your DNA, your identity, your family, whatever, to scrutiny by law enforcement if it becomes necessary. They don't do this very often because it's very complicated and it's rather expensive. But on a murder case, there's no statute of limitations. So we can pursue you until the day you die for a crime you may have committed in a case if it's a murder. Statute of limitations doesn't apply. Yep. For example, this guy, 34 years later, he's in the he's in the can, which is where he should have been 34 years ago, but he wasn't. But better late than never, as they say. So what is your hope with this effort and with all of the work you've done by televising some of these stories from your past? Is your hope that the populace will become more involved, get more informed well hopefully they'll become more aware of what the police do because if we stick to the 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 media presentation of the police they only seek out failure mm. they only want to present something when somebody does something bad and we have policemen who shouldn't be policemen 
However, we are faced with a terrible problem. We have to recruit our members from the ranks of the human race. It's so disappointing. <laughs> We're if fallible. Just get, if we asked Elon Musk very nicely, but he's, but he's busy doing other things. But if he could build <laughs> police robots, ooh. You know, but the technology just isn't there. So there are people who make mistakes in law enforcement, mm -hmm. and they are crucified for that, and they are prosecuted, and they're jailed and whatever. But that's all the press wants to talk about. They don't want to talk about good news because good news isn't news. People have a pure interest. If it mm -hmm. bleeds, it leads. And if it's failure, they want to talk about it by anyone. Mm -hmm. The Postal Service failed to deliver your mail. The, the garbage man did not empty your can completely. Film at 11. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. You know, I said, well, you stop. Just stop. You know, uh, but it, it doesn't stop. Now, I wanted this to at least show the public, which is why I'm also doing the program American Detective, which is now on ID, a new mm -hmm. series with me, to show the world that I'm not the Lone Ranger. There are policemen all over this country in county sheriff's departments and, uh, and big cities and small places that work just as hard as I do for little or no money, except for the slings and arrows of the press and the public, to stand in the victim's shoes and protect their interests against all others because they cannot do that anymore. Wow. And that's the purpose of that program. And the very same thing with homicide. Let the public see what the police actually do. Not what they do wrong, because they do that too. But let's show them what they do right. Wow. Consistently. Well, thank you so much for your service and for bringing mm -hmm. this show to the world. Now, I want to make sure that we give our audience a clear understanding of how they can watch this show and find your content. Absolutely. I, it's He's homicide. amazing. Yeah, right? Like, I am amazing. so looking forward to this. Homicide Hunter. We kind of want your autograph. And I know as we're wrapping up, like, I just, from police officer to TV star, if you could, how did, like, how did this happen? I just want to know. Like, well, it's absolutely. It, you weren't born to be a TV luck. star. No, uh -oh. no. But my, you it's my wife's fault. Uh, <laughs> oh, she gosh. beat me up. And I got a letter from a producer years ago who said that he had this idea for a cop show uh, about homicide. And he wanted somebody that, and he knew me. He remembered me. He used to be in news. And he had uh, taken pictures of me and video of me back in the day when I was working. I didn't remember the guy, but he said, I worked for this particular channel in Colorado Spring. And then he left news and moved up in the business and became a producer. And he remembered me and he said, I want, I want you to tell the stories that you used to tell the public in Colorado Spring briefly on the news about murder cases. So, you know, I put the letter aside and my wife said, what's that? I said, it's a letter from some guy that says he's going to put me on TV like that's going to happen. She said, you should call him. I'm not calling him. I don't like TV people. This went on for four days. My wife has a PhD in nagging from a very good school. So she was not from the going school to of relent. Kenda, do you mean? Yes. Like the school of Kenda? She was not mm -hmm. going to relent. You're going to call him this morning or this afternoon? What are you doing for lunch? <laughs> I Why love aren't you her. on the phone? Yeah, yeah. She's so our kind of girl. Four days of that. Four days of that. And I thought, okay, peace in the family is the only way this is going to work. So I called him. And I kind of liked him on the phone, and we met, and one thing led to another, and here we are. 
I am living proof that even a blind pig finds an acorn once in a while. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm going to be going through the archives of Homicide Hunter. I just started with season Sad. eight, and now I want to go back to season one. <laughs> there's, a, there's 144 episodes wow. of Homicide Hunter. They play all over the world in a number of countries, in a number of languages, on a number of services. They're on Hulu, they're on Discovery Plus, they're on Investigation Discovery, they mm. are everywhere. If you're in the UK, they're on Sky Network. Mm. Uh, and on We're and finding on. you. We're going to find yeah, you. It's, uh, and there's 22 episodes of American Detective, and that's they're playing as we speak on ID and Discovery Plus. And of course, this special is coming up on the 17th, two hours that's long, amazing. describing this case from beginning to end. We should have a watch party, Karina. Oh, I love that idea. Yes, Let's have we're a watch definitely party. doing that. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, Homicide Hunter, never give up exploring mm -hmm. the DNA, DNA evidence behind the solving of Darlene Crashock's murder. And, yes. you know, we're obsessed, obviously, with Joe Kenda. And we have a new, we have a lot of stuff to binge on. If you need a binge-worthy show, <laughs> you know, just Google <laughs> Just Google Joe Kenda, and he has so much. But August 17th, we're going to have a watch party for sure. If yeah. Joe doesn't come with us, which he said he can't, but we're good at, like, twisting people's arms. But I wouldn't want to <laughs> twist your arm. I don't want to twist your arm. For some reason, like, I'm scared. But, no, um, no he's you're an amazing human being. Um, thank you so much for being here. We ask everybody on our show to say one thing, three words, but I want to hear I want to hear this in Joe Kenda fashion. It's we always ask to have our guests kick us off by saying, "Let's kick it." All right, is that what you want? Let's kick it. Yeah, With yeah some but like, but, but well, like Joe Kenda, Joe Kenda way. Yeah, all right. It. Well, in that case, let's kick it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Media Casters. You can keep this conversation going and kick it with Karina and Jules in live office hours each week. Visit themediacasters.mn.co to sign up. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe whenever you listen. Let's kick it.